Hey Doug, I have the honor of getting to introduce you today. And this was a tough one because I think most of the people here know you. Most already know that you started your career in commercial real estate prior to your time at CDF and then eventually branching off from there to begin what we know today as the Solomon Foundation. And some might also know that you moved to California to pursue your dreams of always wanting to live on the beach, which is also where you got to be baptized at Mission Viejo. And I'm sure that if I asked you what your greatest accomplishment was, you would say something along the lines of marrying the love of your life, Julie, being married for 42 years, and having two amazing daughters that live out your legacy every single day. So additionally, I recruited a handful of staff to share a few things that come to mind when they think about the Doug Crozier. He is always trying to uh, bring those around him uh, up. He, he, he does what a lot of people uh, are not willing to do, and I think that's why he's so successful. Doug Crozier is fiercely loyal, he is very kind, he's generous, and he is kingdom-minded. His compassion, um, his energy, uh, the atmosphere that he brings to the office. One thing I love about Doug Crozier is his loyalty. You live hard after Jesus. You live hard for him and work hard to follow his steps. And uh, it's inspiring to see. He loves the Lord and he shows it in everything that he does, whether it's in words or in deed, um, in meetings where there's a small amount of people or a large amount of people. He is who he is and he is a man of God's word. His sensitivity enables him to be in tune with the staff and what's going on in the office. And he generally does care about everybody in the office and his employees. What I've noticed with Doug is he is passionate about investments and loans, but well beyond that is his passion um, for, his, for the ministry side of it. A great balance of hard charging and quick decision making, but also very laid back and very understanding and very supportive. The fact that he truly cares about his employees um, on so many levels goes a really long ways. So Doug, we all know that you are most happy and productive when you are growing God's church with other believers. And I know that TSF is on track to hit some major milestones and it's all due to your leadership. Not a single person would be here in this room if it was not for you. And that truly deserves some honor and recognition. So everyone, would you please get up off your feet and give a nice shout out, make some noise for the CEO of the Solomon Foundation, Doug Crozier. Well, I have to catch my breath a little bit there because I was not expecting that. Adam, thank you for uh, putting that together and thank you for the staff. You know, the, the, the thing is, we would not be what we are today without every member of our staff. And I'm just grateful to be able to serve along all of them uh, in this great organization. And um, I'm just humbled. I'm humbled to be able to serve with such great people. And we are a family. Um, our, our, our staff is a family. Uh, we've celebrated together. We've mourned together. Uh, we've prayed together. We've worked hard. We've fought against each other at times. You know, that's just part of the process. But I'm just grateful for our staff. Um, I want to really spend some time today and, and not just give you the normal update on the Solomon Foundation, 
But I want to talk about what's next. What's next with the Solomon Foundation? What do we need to do next uh, to expand the kingdom together? So I want to talk about the Solomon Foundation model, because most of you know this, but some of the newer people, we, we, we want you to know who we are, what we do, and how we do it. First and foremost, we're your ministry partner. We are not your lender. If you want to come to us and just get a loan, we're really not interested, okay? We tell churches all the time, if you just want to refinance your loan with us, you know, we're, we're really not interested in that because we want to take more ground for the kingdom. Uh, and what we want to do is help you expand your ministry. Uh, so we're not your lender. We are your ministry partner. We want to be in relationship with the church and all the leaders. Uh, you know, one of the great things about my job is I get to travel around the country and I just don't get to meet you all. I get to meet your leaders uh, and to see leaders here also like our good friends from Renaissance, to see a couple of the elders and their wives here, you know, it's just great to have you guys. And uh, we want to make sure um, that we're in relationship, okay? I've got Jim Putman sitting over here, so I, you know, I got to push that word in, in big, but we want to be in relationship with the church and your leaders. And it's more than lending money. If we were just lending money, we probably wouldn't hold this conference. Why would we hold this conference if we're just lending money? Because we're not in a partnership, okay? So we want to make sure that it's more than lending money. Uh, and we're here to help you when it's needed, okay? We want to help you in the good times. We want to help you in the tough times. We want to help you in the decision-making process. We want to come alongside you. We want to come alongside you. We're not going to come over you. We're going to come alongside you and get to the next step. Uh, you know, um, we started our Tuesday calls. How many of you have been on our Tuesday calls? Most of, most of the guys in the room. Um, we started this when COVID hit. You know, we're, we're, we're all dealing with this kind of post-COVID, I don't know, hangover, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and one of the things that happened uh, during COVID is one of the first things we wanted to do is help all the churches get their PPP money. Okay, because that was very important to all of you to bridge that gap uh, during that tough time. So we started the Tuesday calls to really just educate everybody on PPP. But then what happened is when everybody got their PPP, everybody said, you know, it's kind of fun to be in relationship and get together every Tuesday. So we've continued that trend, and we have anywhere from 30 to 60 guys uh, on, the, on the call each week, and we've got different topics, we've got different people speaking, and it's kind of become a normal thing. Uh, and you know, many, many people really like that. We're gonna continue that. We have no, no uh, reason to stop it. Um, and I, I know you've all heard me say this, but I'm gonna say it one more time. Um, the best decision I made when COVID hit was not a financial decision. It was retaining Dr. Wes on my staff, okay? Now, how many, how many financial institutions in America hired a clinical psychologist on their staff to help other people when COVID hit? I don't think you'll find one. 
uh, but it was a great decision uh, for, on our part, on our team, and it's been great. Um, the, other, the other great thing about partnering together uh, in our model is the value of our regional vice presidents, okay? So if you know the guys, in fact, all the RVPs from Solomon stand up, okay? So all of these, here's the key thing you need to know. These guys, these, these guys have all been in your shoes. They've been there, done that. They've been in the good times and the bad times. And they're there to encourage you and help you and network you and get you the, to the next step. So the key thing is, again, the Solomon Foundation models, we want a relationship and we want to help you take more ground for the kingdom. So let me give you a quick update. I know some of this may put you to sleep, but please bear with me because it's important for you to know the value of, of a strong financial partner. 2021 was another record-breaking year for TSF. And I, I didn't know if that was gonna happen because of COVID, but it did, because people stepped to the plate. Our total growth in 2021 was $162 million in one year. Amazing growth. The even more important thing, let me, let me break this down. Okay, so in 2019, the Solomon Foundation raised $154 million in gross deposits. And in that year, the Solomon Foundation, between myself and our RVPs, we were in 180 churches raising deposits. You know those guys that come and put the table in the lobby, all right, and hand out all the brochures and we're raising money. So we had this record year of $154 million. Now, how many churches do you think we were in in 2020? We weren't in any, none. And we still raised $192 million. Amazing, because only God could do that. That's right. Only God could do that. And then we followed up with this last year of raising $227 million in one year. Now we finished 2021 with another amazing stat. We had no delinquent loans. Okay, now we went in, we, we uh, and, and I wanna be careful with this because we will have delinquent loans, okay? That's just part of who we are, what we do. And, and, and that's just part of the process. Um, but we went into COVID with four loans delinquent. And we came out of COVID at the end of 2021 with no delinquent loans. You know, when, when, when we review our audited financial statements with our bankers in California, they look at me and go, what's your secret sauce? You know what the secret sauce is? Relationship, okay? Relationship and partnership. Uh, the other thing we did during 20, uh, 2021 is we lowered our troubled debt restructures. In other words, if a church has struggles and they need help, we restructure their loan, okay? So going into COVID, we had $48 million of loans on what we call TDR, okay? That's not a bad thing. 
That's just part of what we do. And we actually lowered our troubled debt restructures from 48 million to 27 million during COVID. Okay? Only God can do that. We also lowered our loan loss reserve by 1.2 million. So what that means is every loan on the books of the Solomon Foundation, we have to take a reserve on it, even though we've never had a loss on that loan. So we have to reserve $5.6 million, okay? And the year before it was 6.8 million. That number went down, all right? Why? Because loan quality improved, therefore it lowered our loan loss reserve. Um, and again, only God could do what, what, I'm, what I'm sharing here uh, in, this, in this huge period called COVID. Um, when COVID hit, we made a commitment. We were not gonna st stop any funding on any loan anywhere. Why? Because COVID will end, all right? And I think we saved churches millions of dollars because what's happened during COVID with construction costs? Boom, through the roof, okay? In fact, I think I can point out Tim Moore. We encouraged Tim Moore to continue his construction all during COVID and he opened his building. And if he would have waited and started the construction now, it would have cost him $4 million more, okay? So we never stopped construction. And during 2021, we opened 31 projects. 31 church facilities were opened during COVID. Now that, that means the buildings were open. That didn't mean people were in them. But the bottom line is we had the buildings done, waiting for people to come back after COVID. Um, this statistic, I, I just think this, this is an amazing statistic. Of the 31 church facilities we opened in 2021, 15 of those were churches that had never had a building, okay? And um, I, I, I personally believe that the vast majority of those 15 may not have survived COVID because of the number of churches that could not get back into schools, the number of churches that couldn't get back into YMCAs. And the bottom line is, we, we had a major emphasis on getting churches out of the YMCAs and the schools and into permanent buildings. Richardson's your prime example. And Will Archer, your prime example. I could go on around this room. Uh, so that's pretty amazing. We currently have about 45 uh, projects under construction across the United States. So we continue to originate loans. Our total assets are right around 965 million. We have record cash reserves right now of over 145 million, and we have a record loan pipeline. So even with COVID and everything that happened, we've got the largest loan pipeline. Loan pipeline means those are loans that are being processed, loans that are being originated, loans that are being closed, construction loans being funded, all of those categories come together and make up what we call our pipeline, okay? So we have a record pipeline of loans that we're now uh, funding and closing. Uh, the other thing that we did in, in late 2021 is we launched our new planned giving 
initiatives. And you're going to hear a lot about this. You're going to, because this is our future of the way that we want to raise our equity. So what's the impact? We funded almost $900 million of loans in 11 years. $900 million of loans in 11 years. Uh, many are, are, are to the fastest growing churches in our movement. Churches like Real Life Ministries, 242. Uh, Real Life Ministries was the fastest growing church in the restoration movement from 2000 to 2010. Uh, Real Life is our second largest loan on our books. 242 was the fastest growing church in the restoration movement from 2010 to 2020. Both of those are, are Solomon customers and have been since day one. Okay? Uh, we've also got the refinery, uh, Ecclesia. These were churches that opened a year or two before COVID, and uh, they were, I think, uh, they were the first and third largest, fastest growing churches in our movement. And the key thing is we're already uh, start, getting ready to start construction on phase three for Ecclesia. And yesterday we met with the, uh, we met with uh, Chad and Michael and we're getting ready to launch phase two on the refinery. Because these are both churches, these are both churches that are absolutely exploding in growth exploding in growth. They they're actually have larger attendance now than they had pre-COVID, okay? They're not at 60%, the normal, or 70. No, they're at 120, 130%, okay? Um, the other thing is, as many of you know, or all of you know that have a loan with Solomon Foundation, we also grant money out, okay? We grant money back to churches, okay? So why do we do that? Why, why do we tithe as an organization? Why do we tithe back to churches and parachurch ministries? It's biblical, okay? So the bottom line is over the last 11 years, we have granted back over $11 million to churches and parachurch organizations. And we're gonna continue that. Our grant budget this year is 1.3 million. Um, this is a pretty amazing number. Uh, we haven't really been able to update this uh, too much since COVID hit. Uh, but if we took a snapshot of all 400 and some loans at the Solomon Foundation, we took a snapshot of the day we closed their loan. And we took a snapshot now. Those 400 churches approximately now have over 125,000 people in their chairs and pews of their churches today, okay? That's an amazing stat. But the bigger stat's the next one. Those 400 and some churches have baptized over 45,000 people, all right? That's, that's, uh, that, that's, that's more people in the town I grew up in, okay? I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so. Uh, obviously, that doesn't take a big number. Uh, but the bottom line, that's, that's a huge number. And now we've got about eight to 10 churches we're working diligently with to get to the next phase. We want to help them get to the next phase. They've already maxed out their worship center. They maxed out their, I mean, 
really what really happens is most churches, when they have this huge growth spurt, they max out their children's space. Okay, so one of the key things we do is we encourage churches to overbuild ch children's space because uh, that's what's, what's key. And, and mainly in what we call rooftop communities, uh, places like where Chad's at in, in Goodyear, Arizona, where everywhere you look, there's new, new, uh, new homes going up. Uh, and and that just is a big thing is we want to make sure we have enough children's space because that becomes a bottleneck then to the overall growth of the church. Um, okay, so I'm going to be bold on a couple of things here. I really feel good about this one because I think people are coming back to church since Easter. How many of you feel that way? Yep. Good. Then I'm not, I'm not nuts, huh? Okay. Uh, just people I'm talking to, what I'm hearing is people are coming back to church. All right. And, and this one, this one's mind boggling to me. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Um, record giving levels. Okay, every church, I would say 95%, 99% of the churches that we work with, their giving is higher today than it was pre-COVID. Even though their attendance might be back 60 or 70%, okay? A lot of that's because of the greatest financial, the greatest financial invention in the history of man, automatic payments. Okay, okay, payroll deductions, right? ACH, giving online. Did that save you all? Yeah. Absolutely. All right, the money just kept coming. Uh, we're seeing record baptisms. Are you all seeing that? I'm preaching to the choir here, I think, because you're seeing a lot more baptisms. Every time I turn around, man, there's this. Lots of baptisms going on. Southeast in, in Louisville, Ken was telling me, uh, I think it was Easter Sunday, Easter weekend, they had 711 baptisms in one day. In one day. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing. The other phenomenon I think that's happening is we're, we're, we're hearing churches where they're, they're, they're seeing a lot more new people come that never came before COVID. Maybe the people haven't come back that were with you before, but all of a sudden now you've got new people coming. Um, I know a couple guys told me about how their, their, their new, uh, you know, their new member classes or whatever they're called are like maxed out. All right. So I think I think we are positioned, we are positioned uh, for a big growth spurt in churches across the United States, in our movement, in our movement, okay? Because we can have a whole nother two hour discussion on what's happening with the mainline denominations, but we don't have to go there because we're all growing, okay? Um, I know online is here to stay, but the bottom line is we need to get back. We need to get people back in person. We need to get them back in person. Uh, you know, I think the hardest thing I had to do during COVID, I, I, I don't know. I just struggled with watching church in my pajamas, drinking a cup of coffee on Sunday morning. Okay. How I, I couldn't handle it. Okay. So. 
So, so we, here's what I did. Here's what Julie and I did. We would get up, get ready for church, have our coffee. We'd drive our car to the parking lot of the church and watch church on our phone. Okay? <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. We posted that on Facebook, and the next Sunday, guess what? There was people in the parking lot with us. <laughs> so we kind of started our own little thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, online's going to be here to stay. But the thing we have to be able to do is we've got to get people back to church so they get into relationship. Okay? You can't sit at home in your pajamas with a cup of coffee watching church. All right? So we got to work on that. We all have to work on that. Struggles uh, during this time, burnout, anxiety, and many more. And we want to make sure if you're dealing with those things, we have resources to help you. We've got Dr. Wes. Uh, we've got Steve Cuss, uh, who's doing a lot in the area of leadership anxiety. Have any of you heard, read Steve's book? We're taking our full staff through that right now. Okay? Uh, we just think it's important. Okay. Now let's turn to the economy. How's your gas prices in your neck of the woods? <laughs> yes. Uh, the feds came out yesterday and said that uh, inflation is now at 8.3 annualized. I came out this morning and said that uh, durable goods are at 11%. Uh, so the bottom line is inflation is here to stay. It's here to stay until uh, the U.S. government can get the economy under control and slow things down. Okay? You know, the feds last week raised their, their fed funds rate by 50 basis points, a half a percent. Uh, many feel that there could be as many as six increases this year. I rely on my good friend Andrew Martin, one of our board members. Six, right? Over the, over the next 18 months. Yeah. Six more raises. Okay. So all of a sudden, if you don't have your 2.5% mortgage locked in, you're not going to get it locked in. All right? Because mortgage rates are already closer to 4 and they're going to be going to five and six and seven. Now, let's put it into perspective, because uh, many people in our country don't realize this. Um, the unusual factor of having two and three and four percent mortgage rates is not the norm, okay? In fact, Julie and I, we bought our first house in 1980, and we thought we made a great deal because we got a 14 percent interest rate. Okay. <laughs> How many remember that? There's not a lot of people in this room that probably remember that, but, but that's what happened because what happened in the late 70s? The oil embargo, huge inflation, drove up interest rates and created a recession in our country. So I'm not predicting that we're going to have a recession, but what I'm saying is we have to get inflation under control because that's the key point in our economy. Secondly, it's building costs are not going down. People think that, oh, this is temporary, and you listen to the government, and they say it's all temporary. They're not going down. They may flatten out, but they're not. When, when have they gone down? 
Can anybody tell me when lumber prices went down over, the, over, the, over their lifetime? No. Okay? Common sense tells us that building costs will continue uh, to go up. Interest rates are going up. We already know that. That's a fact. That's going to be probably more of a norm. Uh, no matter what side of the fence you're on, political polarization is here to stay. It's unfortunate. You know, I, uh, Julie and I spent Easter with the Archers, their grand opening in, in Northern Virginia, and Will, Will just did a phenomenal, in fact, I'm gonna ask him this question on a panel of how he deals with this polarization, because he is in the shadows of Washington, D.C., and he does a phenomenal job of dealing with it. I'm gonna question you on that in our panel. Uh, how many of you are feeling this? Workforce shortages, huh? It's like you can't hire people. We've got nine openings at Solomon and it's just been, it's been crazy trying to find people to fill jobs. Are you all having that same problem in the church? It's hard to find staff. So some things have to change there. Um, let me launch into this, because this is a key area that I really want to spend some time with you all, because this is our future. Uh, we, we are going to launch in uh, with a $100 million initiative, okay? This is not raising $100 million of deposits. This is raising $100 million of gifts, all right? I'm going to explain to you the impact that has on Solomon. Uh, we now offer donor-advised funds. We'll talk a little bit about that. We also uh, offer our field of interest funds. Uh, we want to raise money in a disaster relief fund, uh, mission and ministry fund, a ministry education fund, restoration movement expansion fund, or you could build your own as a church or individual. Uh, and our goal is uh, we want to, to raise funds into these things so that when a disaster hits, boom, we can react. We can react. Uh, when missions need funds, we've got the ability to pay, pay uh, off grant off of the principal of those gifts, not the corpus, but the principal, um, and, and raise funds in that way. We're all, we also offer more sophisticated products like charitable remainder, unit trust, uh, and crats and cruts and all those uh, alphabet soup. Uh, but the bottom line, we're going to raise $100 million. Now, let me tell you what happens when, when we raise $100 million of equity at Solomon. You cannot get this anywhere else. All right? Uh, it's called the 20 times factor. So the Solomon Foundation has to maintain a 5% capital ratio. So if we have to maintain a dollar of equity of 5%, of our total means we can grow $20, right? So let's take a million dollars. If we had a million dollar gift, Solomon could grow 20 million. Now we have to go raise the deposits and make the loans, but that's kind of like everyday stuff, right? So if, if we could uh, raise that million dollars, we could grow 20 million if the average church building is $2 million, the million dollar gift 
is going to yield 6% that gets granted out every year. And the million dollars just helped 10 new churches get built. You cannot get that equation anywhere else as a donor. So if the Solomon Foundation goes out and raises 100 million, we can grow by 20 times. 20 times that's what? $2 billion. And if we grow $2 billion and the average church loan is 2 million, I'll do the quick math. We just helped 1,000 churches get built. 1,000 churches in our country, all right? So the 20 times factor is, is really a big deal, okay? Um, I learned a long time ago that if I'm gonna go ask people for $100 million, I better have some skin in the game, okay? So for me, Julie and I prayed about this a lot, and so we've opened our donor, the Crozier Family Donor Advised Fund at the Solomon Foundation. We've committed to fund $250,000 to our donor advised fund, $50,000 a year, okay, for five years. So December 31st, we wrote a check for $50,000 to the Solomon Foundation to our donor advised fund. Immediately in our tax bracket, I got $17,500 I didn't have to give to Uncle Sam and Governor Polis of the state of Colorado. Okay? And we will get $3,000 a year to give to the ministries we want to support without touching the $50,000. Power of interest, the power of money, and what it can do. So, when we fully funded at $250,000, Uncle Sam and the governor of the state of Colorado doesn't get $87,500. We get $15,000 a year. So think of this. I'm almost 68. I'm going to retire someday. And by doing this, I can still give my tithe to the church and support other ministries without it coming out of my retirement funds. I have pre-funded my giving and tithing for the future, okay? Here's the, here's the even bigger thing. When Julie and I go on to be with the Lord, our kids get this, and they get to continue doing it until their death. Once they pass away, then it just becomes part of, of the Solomon Foundation, all right? So you see the power of money? Um, go back a slide, Megan, thank you. So let's talk about the power of money. So if I make a million dollar gift, all right, and it earns 6%, how much is that a year? 60,000. So if I do that for 13 years, what's happened? I gave away a million dollars to charities and churches, and guess what? The million dollars is still there. The million dollars is still there. The power of an endowment so that we can expand the kingdom is huge. It's huge. 
so we're going to be really talking about this with churches and individuals. Uh, our goal this year, my goal is to raise uh, 20 million. Um, the staff would only let me budget 10, but we're going we're gonna to break that. We're going to get to 20, in my opinion. So call to action. So what's next? Uh, one of the goals, not one of the goals, one of the things I did every year pre-COVID was it was my goal to visit every church with a loan with the Solomon Foundation every year. Now, the more loans we have, the tougher that gets, okay? But my, my goal is I wanna visit, visit every loan church in person over the next 12 uh, to 18 months. Um, I wanna challenge every church in here and every church we work with, we wanna talk about the next phase. Brian and Paul, I know you're building this phase, but we wanna also start dreaming about the next phase because it will hit you like that and we have to be prepared, okay? Um, I want all of you in this room to consider a Solomon Foundation single organization fund with your missions funds, or portion, let me rephrase that, with a portion of your missions funds. Because what happens? Money comes in, the church ties 10% into their missions budget, and what happens to it? It all goes out, that's great. You're supporting missions, right? But what would happen if you started today and built an endowment? And let's say you put 100,000 into that endowment every year. After 10 years, you've got a million dollars in that that's giving 60,000, that you're getting 60,000 back to put into ministry. And again, in 13 years, what happens? You gave away a million dollars and the million dollars is still there. All right? So we, we're getting a lot of missions, organizations that, that are very interested in this. We've already written several of them. So what's next? Get a retirement plan for your staff. The biggest, the greatest thing about being independent is being independent. The worst thing about being independent is being independent, okay? because the vast majorities of pastors in America in our movement retire with hardly anything. You'd be shocked. You'd be shocked at the number of guys in their 70s and 80s preaching every Sunday to put food on their table. You'd be shocked at the number of guys in their 70s and 80s who opted out of Social Security and they don't have anything. So let's change the course of that. Let's get a 403, and, and even if you don't do it with the Solomon Foundation, I'm challenging you right now, get a retirement plan for your staff. Even if they didn't do it for you, doesn't mean you can't do it for somebody else. All right? Uh, get into a mentoring group. You know I was hanging out in the lobby last night with Chad and uh, Rob Denton um, and Austin Basil and the fourth member of their group, Mont Mitchell wasn't there, but, but they were telling me about this mentoring group they formed, okay? And I think they get together a couple, three times a year, them and their wives, and they have a great time. And just sitting 
there last night and watching the interaction between these three couples that live in totally different parts of the country, you could see the connection. So if you, if you want to learn more about a mentoring group, uh, reach out to Chad. Chad, raise your hand. Austin, where are you at? Somewhere. Austin's over there. Rob, where are you at? Mont. There he is. So I was just checking to see if they're in the session. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I didn't. I wasn't. I knew they were here. So um, the next call to action is hire an executive coach. How many of you have an executive coach? Raise your hands high. Okay. Every one of you in this room should have one. Now, unfortunately, we don't have Dr. Zimmerman with us. Uh, he was to be our speaker of the last session today, but he, uh, he texted me on Monday and said, hey, Doug, uh, Christine and I just pulled into port in Rome from our cruise uh, where he was speaking on a cruise ship. And he said, uh, we went to get our COVID tests and I tested positive. So he's quarantined in Rome, so he couldn't be here. Uh, but Dr. Zimmerman is a great example of an executive coach. Dr. Zimmerman and his wife, Christine, are investors at the Solomon Foundation. I just knew him as a doctor. I didn't know what that meant. And uh, after we were in Hawaii last year, he called me up and said, we need to have lunch, go to lunch with him. He said, I need to be your executive coach. I said, really? So tell me, wh who are you? What's going on here? He says, I did. I said, so who are you? He said, well, I was a tenured professor at the University of Minnesota. I have a degree in psychology, a PhD in psychology. I've written 16 books, I've published 1,000 articles, and I only am an executive coach for Fortune 100 companies, CEOs. And I said, well then, I'm not gonna hire you because I can't afford you. You know what he said to me? Did I say anything about money? I wanna be your executive coach. So what he charges CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, $75,000 a year, he charges me 5,000. Okay, and what he's done to me has been amazing. He dissected me like no one else. How many people have ever had a 360? Yeah, Jim, you've had one. <laughs> so what's a 360? A 360 is when you give a psychologist 15, 20, 30 names, they call all those people and they ask them a series of questions they answer them, they compile those, and I got a book that thick, okay? And I, I, I knew, I mean, I gave him the list of names, and I, when I saw some of the comments, I knew who they were. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, right? I knew Don Wilson's comments, I could, I could see him, right? So, joking. Um, so I went through that process. Then I went through a huge evaluation uh, on, on a Myers-Briggs type scenario, uh, you know, very extensive along with the DNA 25 process. So, 
So finally I said, after about six months, I said to Dr. Zimmerman, I said, well, tell me how I'm doing. I kind of like to know, you know, what's the prognosis here, doc? And he said, it's pretty simple. We did a 360 and everybody out there told me who you are. I then gave you all the psychological tests in the world and they told me who you think you are. The prognosis is this, they match, okay? But we gotta do some tweaking. And so I've spent this last year really diving into that and working towards uh, some, some goals for myself. But I would highly encourage it. I wish I would have done it 30 years ago, okay? Find an executive coach. Find somebody that's gonna help you to the next step. Um, we also wanna celebrate the wins together. And part of that is for all of us to come together here and just be able to share together, grow together, um, expand our horizons, uh, and we want to pray for the next season of ministry. Uh, I just think when you look around this room, when you look around this room, we've got multiple facets of the restoration movement. Let me share with, with that what I mean. We've got our traditional Christian churches. Okay, that's great. That's a great group. Then we've got the fringe. You know what the fringe is? Those are people that are restoration movement, they just don't know it, okay? I'm serious, okay? Kenneth Locke, you know, you know that, okay? We've got our great partnership with the African-American Non-Instrumental Church of Christ. Now, you remember when we made that decision? what, five years ago, six years ago? <clears throat> that was a huge decision for our organization. And I can stand here today and tell you that we have funded 111 African-American non-instrumental churches in America for over $100 million, okay? <clears throat> and that, that's been a huge part of it. One of the things that we did also is we added Dr. Richard Barclay to our board. We wanna make sure that that group has representation on our board of directors. That's been a great addition to have Richard and Shirley as part of our team. Uh, and um, we've also got this new, new little twist, or two new little twists happening. We, we were, inter our good friend Elaine, Elaine Lopez. Everybody knows Elaine, right? He's been around with us for three or four years. He started calling me and going, there's all these Hispanic churches that need help. So we start visiting them, we start working with them, and all of a sudden, Alfonso and Francisco and all the other guys, there's a whole table of them right there that have all, except for Elaine, have all closed their building. Alfonso and Priscilla, we closed your loan last week. On Friday. On Friday. <laughs> Okay, and then, and then we kind of, kind of found another group. We met Will Archer, and all of a sudden we're now exposed to the whole International Church of Christ wing of our movement. And we've met so many great friends. 
greater Baltimore, greater New Jersey, Southwest Florida. I mean, I could name uh, uh, Orlando. These are all ones we've either closed a loan for or in the process of closing a loan for. And so we've met this whole new group within our movement, all right? So, so, so let me tell you how big that movement is. They have their convention, which is kind of like our old North American, every four years. But with COVID, they didn't get to have it the last two years. But it's in Orlando this summer. They are expecting 32,000 people at their convention. Is that amazing? I don't think the North American was ever 32,000 people. All right. So we're excited. We're a main sponsor of the World Convention this year, and we're going to go to Orlando and have a great time. My point is, look at the expansion that we've accomplished, you know, across racial lines, across music lines, but we all believe in one thing together, right? We believe in the inherent word of the scriptures, okay? We know the importance of baptism and weekly communion. There's just so many things that we are able to do by expanding our horizons without watering down our doctrine. All right, we're not going there. We won't go there. So, so the bottom line is we're seeing this huge melting pot of different wings within the restoration movement. Uh, and we're, we're going to, and what happens is as we continue this, everybody talks to their friends and what happens? We meet more people. And, and so we're just excited about uh, what's happening within our movement and I'm just encouraged. I feel better about the restoration movement standing here today than I have in my entire life. Our movement is alive. Uh, when I go to uh, our annual meeting with all the denominational lenders and I hear the meth my Methodist friends crying over there because they're closing churches by the thousands and my Presbyterian friends that took a stand they probably shouldn't have taken Okay, my Lutheran friends, that their, their churches are dying. Uh, that's opportunity for us to make sure we can keep people in the kingdom uh, by getting them involved in our churches in, the, in an independent way. So I'm, I'm encouraged about where we're going, what's happening, and I'm just blessed, number one, to serve as the Solomon Foundation CEO, um, and I plan to serve for a while longer. Some people are kind of thinking, where's he going? I'm not going anywhere. All right. Uh, so bottom line, we want to expand the kingdom together. And so thank you all for coming. And uh, I think, are we going to do, Adam's up.